Welcome to the Willing to Listen South Bruce Proud podcast. Willing to Listen is a grassroots volunteer group based in South Bruce, Ontario, that is dedicated to thoroughly investigating multiple aspects of Canada's proposed deep geological repository for spent nuclear fuel. I'm Sheila Wittick, and I'm so excited to have you join me as we delve into this controversial project. So this is part two of my interview with Lise Morton, the VP of Site Selection for the Nuclear Waste Management Organization. And in this episode, we start to get into kind of the nuts and bolts of the NWMO program and site selection. So we'll just kind of change courses a little bit and we'll get talking about the project, specifically NWMO's project and South Bruce's involvement. Um, so mm-hmm. I guess right off the hop is like, what what drove you to get involved with this project? You retired from OPG and mm-hmm. you know a lot of people when they retire, they, they stay retired. So, <laughs> so what, what drove you to take this position? Yeah, I mean, I, I really ultimately comes down to a passion that I have for, for finding a solution. I mean, it really comes down to that. That's really what I had been focused on the last several years of my career, working on OPG's proposed DGR project. But just what I, what I also discovered in working on that project is that I really like working with communities and that I have a passion for trying to figure out how do we communicate the complexity of projects like this in a way that can address people's concerns and, and, and fears and, and, and get people to, to understand it in a way that, you know, that is meaningful to them. And so, so that's really, I'd say, what, what drove me to do it. And, you know, I also do believe that we, climate change is real. I think it's something that we need to address as a society and that one of the key contributors to climate change can be your electricity system. And in Ontario, we have a deeply decarbonized grid and nuclear does play a big role in that. And we have this byproduct that's produced from that, that needs to be managed and needs to be managed safely. So again, that's what I'd say drove me to do it was, was this desire to find a way to manage that, that waste and get, get to a disposal solution. But again, in a way that aligns with what communities want. So I guess that's, yeah, I, I enjoyed the, the challenge of trying to, trying to get ourselves to, to that point. That's funny that that sounds very much like why I started willing to listen, you know, my passion for mm. nuclear energy and it's, yeah. It's solution to climate change and deep decarbonization and needing a solution for the waste because that's that's the talking point most anti-nuclear groups use against the industry is we have no solution for the waste. And that's another rabbit hole I could go down, but it would take a really long time to decompress all that. So we'll talk about the elephant in the room first. There's this new campaign, we deserve a referendum, where Protect Our Waterways Group is demanding a referendum on the 2022 election ballot. And I just wonder what the NWMO thinks about that. Well, I'm going to be as clear as I possibly can about this, which is that NWMO will not weigh in on whether it's a referendum or not. So we are not the ones that prescribe how the communities are going to make their decisions. It's up to the communities. It's up to community members and leadership to to determine that. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, we're, we're watching to make sure that we understand how South Bruce specifically will make its decision, but we are not going to be weighing in on that. And it's really up, it really is up to the communities to, to make that decision. How do you want to, what we call demonstrate willingness? How do you want to make your decision? My follow-up to that is Ignace is also in a similar willingness study process right now too. And there are people who say that the NWMO is controlling the process because both communities are doing the same thing. So I guess just for clarification and just to make sure that it is very clear, is that true? The NWMO is telling communities how to do that? Well, no, I guess it's the same answer as what I just gave, which is that no, you know, NWMO is, is not doing that, uh, whether in Ignace or, uh, or in South Bruce. And I'm going to highlight Saugeen Ojibwe Nation, Wabagoon Lake Ojibwe Nation up north. I mean, there are several communities here 
uh, that need to determine their willingness. There's a lot of factors to consider here, but at the end of the day, it's not NWMO dictating to communities, this is how you're going to make your decision. We'll see what Ignace comes up with, and we'll see what, again, what Soggy Ojibwe Nation, what Wabagoon Lake looks, you know, how they all decide to make decisions. So no, we're not we're not controlling the process. This is one area where we we really stand back and let the communities make their decision. Let's chat a little bit about making sure the community is informed. The NWMO, you know, there's this mm-hmm. big push on, um, we hear it all the time, they're only going to come to a willing community. But I feel like that informed section sometimes gets overlooked. And I personally think that's on purpose, but that's a different story again. So like, how does the NWMO ensure that the communities are properly informed? Yeah, that's a Great question. And you're right. It's, it's, it's a really key component of this notion of being an informed and willing host uh, community. It needs to be, it needs to be both. So I'll, I'll talk, I guess, about some ways in which people can get informed. And then I think I'll, I'll try to answer your other part about, you know, kind of how do we ensure that as best we can. So, of course, there are just like any, I'd say, issue in your community, there are many ways to get informed. Of course, and I'll just invite everybody, there's the office in Teeswater, you know, you can feel free to drop in, uh, staff are in there, they can answer your questions, they can, uh, you know, take your question and get back to you. Um, so, you know, feel free, of course, to drop into the office in Teeswater. Uh, and, and people do, you know, we see people dropping in there uh, every day. The mobile exhibit when, when it's going around is a great opportunity as well to really get some detailed information on the project. It's wrapped up for this season because it is winter, but it'll be back on the road again uh, next year. And, and that's always a good, good opportunity. We're often present at different fairs and different festivals as well. So, you know, always feel free to come up to, to the booth and ask questions. Our staff are very friendly and will we'll answer your questions. And then, of course, there's always, you can always go to the website. And I'm and and I would actually encourage people. You don't just have to go to the NWMO website, but you know there are other independent websites that are good, solid sources of information. People, of course, like the regulator, Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission. There's a lot of information on their website as to what their role is and and how they act as a, an independent regulator. The IAEA's website is full of information as well. Uh, so the IAEA's website would be very good as well to give you. Uh, information on kind of more of the international perspective, but also what their standards and regulations are. So there's a whole bunch of ways in which you can get informed. And certainly we're hoping, especially now that COVID restrictions have lifted so much, um, of course, during COVID, we weren't able to do as much engagement. You know, we're very open to, again, talking to service groups, going to different, going to people to to talk to them and, and provide information. So Again, just reach out to our Teeswater office if you'd want us to come and talk to a small group or whatever. We're, we're quite open to doing that. So, you know, how do we, again, ensure that? I mean, again, what we, what we need to do is provide the most opportunities for people to get the information, make it accessible to people in a way that, that they can get at it easily. We understand people are busy in their lives. They have a lot of things going on. And so it's hard, you know, not everybody can spend time devoted to this. So, you know, we know that we need to try to make it as, as easy as we can for people to access things. But also what, what we believe our responsibility is, is to make sure that we're providing broad awareness across multiple sectors of the community. Uh, you know, that we're talking to the agricultural sector and a- agricultural community, that we're talking to the Mennonite community, that we're talking to. So we are doing all of that. Um, and so that's, you know, I'd say that's the that's our, the onus on us to make sure that we're providing as many venues as possible to ensure that people can get the information they need and, and they can be informed. And there's so many different angles to it, to even just through what I've looked into with my work with Willing to Listen, it's almost 
once a week, I will say there's a new, a new group or a new angle that I'm like, oh my gosh, I never even thought about that. Like, okay, what is that? What do we have to do with that? And it, it does get overwhelming <laughs> a lot. Um, but yeah, there's, it's like, it's complicated. It's definitely a complicated project and community project, you know, like how do you reach all of the different people? Right. So this is a, yeah, it, this is a complex technical project just in and of itself, or it's hard for people to wrap their heads around everything that, that it involves technically, but, you know, and it also has many, as you say, many tentacles through different areas of, of the, the community. So, you know, yeah, we absolutely try to reach out through all of those different sectors. And there's still a lot of talking that needs to happen over the next couple of years. You know, there's still a lot of information that's still going to be coming out and we can talk about that. And I'm sure you'll ask me about studies or something, you know, you know, there's a lot of information still. Okay. There's a lot of information still to be had. So, you know, there's, I guess I would say to people, there's still a lot more to come out. We still don't even know everything yet. There's there's going to be more information coming out. Yeah. Which leads me right in to the next question. The timeline of community studies, you know, with with this push for a referendum in 2022, my biggest concern is that we won't have all the information in a timely manner for all of us to process that and figure out how they all work together. Because, you know, all these studies work together too. It's not, they're not standalone studies. It's how does this affect that? And they all intermingle and work together. When are we expecting to have all of the studies completed? Like, is it reasonable to have a referendum in 2022? Like, should that be the way the community goes? Or do you think maybe you can't even answer that, but like, does that seem premature given the timeline? Well, I mean, I'm just going to go back to my earlier question in the sense that, you know, I'm not going to weigh in and the NWO is not going to weigh in on the referendum question or even when the referendum should happen. That's very much a community decision. But what I will provide, I guess, is I can tell you what studies are underway and roughly when all of that information is going to come in and that then community members and leadership can, can decide based on that. So studies. Yeah. So actually, before I even start on that, I think I should point out South Bruce did some, I think, really good thinking in the sense that the municipality put out these 36 principles and they're available on their website. And that really has helped guide everything that's happening in, in South Bruce and to some extent has helped guide as well the studies that need to happen. And so I would encourage people, if you don't know what the 36 principles are, um, they're, they're quite good. And, and it's what your municipality has put out to NWMO in terms of expectations, if you, if you will, of us. So we have a bunch of studies that are being driven out of the 36 principles, but we also have studies that we know would have to eventually be done to support an impact assessment or what used to be called an environmental assessment. So there is a host of studies going on right now. So most people are probably aware of the borehole studies and all the geoscientific studies that are happening at the site itself. So of course, there's kind of the more technical studies and the rock and rock studies. There's a whole bunch of environmental baseline monitoring studies that, that are required and that are, that are started. So there, that's just the technical studies. But then there are a whole pile of other studies going on. And just to, to name many of them, and many of them are, again, linked back to the 36 principles. So there are studies going on with respect to what the workforce numbers would look like during the construction phase, the operations phase, really trying to nail that down labor studies, where would we draw labor from? What do la- what does labor availability look like in the region more broadly? Studies around emergency response, what are the current capabilities, what additional capabilities would be required? All kinds of studies around infrastructure, what additional power requirements would be required, road upgrades, all of that kind of work. Traffic studies, there are studies around tourism, there are agricultural studies, potential impact on agricultural, uh, and all. And one of the principles relates to NWMO, um, the, the, the municipality having made it very clear, NWMO has to 
be able to support agriculture and how would we promote agricultural products, actually. There are studies around education. There are even studies around vulnerable populations, you know, so we, we have to look at what could the social impact of a, of, a, of a development like this look like. So many, many studies underway. Currently, a lot of those studies are in the baseline knowledge mode, like acquiring what the, the baseline is for all of that information. Some of the study results start coming in um, mid next year. Certainly some of the, uh, the geoscience studies push into 2023 because a lot of that geoscientific information, I mean, some of those studies or some of that analysis even just takes quite a long time, you know, so even the analysis of the rock, et cetera, that can take, those are really specific analysis methods that can take quite a long time. So some of that information doesn't start coming in until till 2023. I've always contended that once all that study information comes in, communities need time to absorb that information. You need time. There's going to be a lot of information coming out and you need time as community members to be able to, to engage and talk about what came out of the studies because it's, it's going to be a lot of information. Anyway, so that gives you a sense of what the timelines kind of look like. I know, I think it was Dave Rushton had mentioned that some of the studies won't be done until the end of 2022 or early 2023. And for me personally, you know, it just sparked a, well, we obviously can't have a referendum in 2022 then because we won't know everything. And for me, that's the most important part. At what point is the community going to start hearing about what benefits are for our community? You know, we we hear a lot about Mm -hmm. the safety case that's being made and all the studies happening and, you know, how we determine willingness and all those things. But when do we start you know, kind of getting into the nuts and bolts of like, what's in it for us? Yeah, that's a great question. And actually, I'll get to that in a second, but I'll take it a step back to the way I've been trying to explain it to people in the community is this, as a community member, I think you need to know broadly three things or three big categories of things. The first one, and we've talked about a couple of these already. The first one is how is my community making its decision and how do I participate in that? So again, that, that's going to be up to the community to decide. But you need to know as a community member, how do I make my voice heard? The second big thing you need to know is, have the questions that I have been answered? Or what are the answers to the questions I have? And for everybody, that's different. Everybody's going to have different sets of questions. But that's where, again, for some people, the information that comes out of studies might help them for that. You know, if you're wanting to know how many trucks may be going up and down the road, for example, then, you know, a transportation study may be what you want. But you need to, in general, understand whether your questions have been answered. And I would put in that category, you know, we often get told that we don't talk about the risks enough. Well, then, if you know, again, if you're concerned about risks, then if your questions are about that, have your questions been answered about about the risks you're concerned about? So that's, I'd say, the, the, the second big category. And then the third one is, to your question, you need to understand as a community member, what's in it for us? What are the benefits that are being proposed? So I guess a couple things on that. So this is very common in certainly in the mining industry. People involved in the mining industry are used to things called IBAs or impact benefit agreements. Certainly with every, I think most international repositories, waste repositories that I'm aware of, I, there may be a, f- a couple that don't, but I think most of them have benefits agreements with the host communities. So absolutely, NWMO anticipates that we would have to put forward a benefits agreement or a draft benefits agreement or partnership agreement with the community. And in South Bruce, that's going to be very driven by what's being asked of in the principles. So at some point, we are going to have to be able to provide to the community, here is the draft benefits agreement that that we're proposing or the, the partnership agreement. 
again, if you derive it from the 36 principles, we're going to have to be having conversations about a whole host of potential benefits. So I'll just kind of speak to some of them. We talked about this earlier. What's the role, you know, to me, a big important benefit that needs to be talked about is what's the role of the community going forward? Because I often get that question. So if we say yes, do we never get get to say anything again? Is that the end of it? Well, no, we're going to have to define what the community's role is going forward. And we know for a fact that a community saying yes or an area saying yes is just the beginning of many, many more steps. We all need to go through then a very rigorous regulatory approvals process through the Impact Assessment Act. That's all public hearing and the community is definitely going to have a role in that. So we would be putting in a benefits agreement what we see the community's role and what the community has asked for in terms of their role going forward. What does it look like in terms of governance? I met one of the th- I mentioned one of the things earlier about you know having a seat on the advisory council. We know that that's a requirement under the act, so that would be defined in the benefits agreement. Some of the other benefits again that would come out of the thirty six um, the thirty six principles. So, you know, we've been asked very clearly by the municipality for a property value protection program. So we have full intentions on developing a property value protection program and incorporating that into a into some kind of a draft a draft agreement. We've been asked to ensure that we support agriculture and the promotion of agriculture. So of course we would have we would have to address that in a benefits agreement. We know that we would have to provide ongoing capacity funding for the community to continue to participate in the process. And we all I know we often get asked about you know why we're providing funds to the community. So I, I want to be clear on a couple of things on that. We provide funds to the community now for capacity funding because we don't want communities to be out of pocket for participating in this process. I mean, think about it from a community's perspective. I don't think people would be very happy if in order to participate in this process, your taxes had to go up, for example. So, of course, we fund positions where the municipality can hire staff members or they can hire independent consultants. They can run their own peer studies, et cetera. Of course, we pay for that so that, again, community members don't have to pay for that. Well, that won't end once the community is selected. If the community is selected, the community is going to have to part- continue to participate through the regulatory approvals process and beyond. So I fully anticipate we'd have to continue to provide capacity funding for that kind of thing. And we currently provide things like community well-being funding. I fully anticipate that something like that would continue as well. And then, you know, some other benefits as well that are going to come out of it. Of course, there would be clauses or requirements in there around things like employment, training, procurement, you know, how are, how, how are we guaranteeing or assuring that local businesses have, have an opportunity to be successful bidders on work and on contracts? Of course, that'll have to be addressed in a benefits agreement. The other one too that I, I should mention is, so the center of expertise, and we'll hear, you know, people talk about that, but I don't know if people have a good sense of what that means. So just to give people a better sense of that, the center of expertise is meant to eventually become the head office of NWMO employees are going to relocate to this area or new employees will be brought in to the selected area, I should say. The center of expertise is not just going to be a center for like technological studies and workers, et cetera. It's going to become, if any area is selected or once an area is selected, even between the North and the South, that will become an international hub. The area selected will be a focus for international attention because there are not that many repositories. Of course, we know Finland's building one right now, but still, Canada's still in the much more advanced stages of this than many other countries. It will garner a lot of attention, and so people will be coming to see what's going on, and they'll also therefore want to come and see the community. So the center of expertise is also something where we would envision, you know, working with the community on what do you want to see in a center like that, and how do you showcase the local area? You know, does it have an area for 
promoting in some way, shape or form agriculture? Or what is it that the community wants to see in that? Um, is there an area for reconciliation? You know, there's a whole bunch of options there. So we've committed that the center of expertise will be located in South Bruce, or we, like I can tell you right now, verbally, we've already committed that and we would definitely put that into a benefits agreement. We would look at, you know, having that in place by 2027, because once the decision is made in 2023-ish, uh, then, you know, you, you need to be moving forward. So there are many, many benefits that still need to come. So so we have a lot of work to do still with the municipality to keep moving forward on those 36 principles. But certainly before the community would make a decision, the community should have from us, from NWMO, the, a draft agreement. So from our perspective, we anticipate it would take us well to the end of 2022, even into part of 2023, to really nail down what that benefits agreement would look like. And I guess I should just say this too. We're not just talking NWMO working on one agreement with South Bruce. NWMO is going to be doing the same, obviously, or would have to do the same at the very least with Saugain Ojibwe Nation, with Wabagoon Lake Ojibwe Nation up north, with Ignace, with Métis communities, with other First Nations, especially up north, and with regional partners as well. I mean, there's a there's a regional impact here in terms of Huron-Kinloss and North, North Huron and Brockton, et cetera. So, you know, we're also looking at you know, what does it look like for benefits to the region? And do we work at the county level? So those are other things we need to still consider and work on. Pretty big scope. Yes. Yeah. But it's doable. It's very doable. There's a lot of templates out there for how this can be done. And while this is a unique facility, we, you know, we think there's, there's certainly ways to, to structure agreements to, uh, to provide a lot of uh, information to communities. And that's it for this episode of Willing to Listen South Bruce Proud. I look forward to further investigating Canada's plan for spent nuclear fuel along with all of you. Thanks so much for joining me. And remember, we don't have to agree on anything to be kind to one another. Mm-hmm.